Good morning. This is Alan Carroll at Carroll Pharmacy in Smithfield, and we are proud to bring you Hope for Today, a program we hope might help you, inspire you, or encourage you and give you hope for today. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven and home? When Jesus is my portion, my constant friend is he. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Let not your heart be troubled, his tender word I hear, and resting on his goodness, I lose my doubts and fears. Though by the path he leadeth, but one step I may see. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Whenever I am tempted, whenever clouds arise, when songs give place to sighing, when hope within me dies, I draw the closer to him, from care he sets me free. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. For his eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Welcome back to another edition of Hope for Today. I have just read the words of the hymn, His Eye is on the Sparrow, with words written by Sevilla Martin and music written by Charles Gabriel. This hymn was written based on the words of Jesus as recorded in the New Testament book of Matthew, chapter 10, verses 29 through 31. Quote, Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will? But the very hairs of your head are numbered. Do not fear, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. In my Life Application Bible, this is what the notes have to say about these verses. Jesus said that God cares for the sparrows every need, and we are far more valuable to God than these little birds, so valuable that God sent His only Son to die for us. You are of great worth to God. You are never lost in His inventory. Because God places such value on us, we need never fear personal threats or difficult trials. These can't dislodge God's love and spirit from within us. But don't think that because you are valuable to God, He will take away all your troubles. The real test of value is how well something holds up under the wear, tear, and abuse of everyday life. Those who stand up for Christ in spite of their troubles truly have lasting value and will receive great rewards. End of those verses. As Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are you when men revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. When Jesus delivered the Sermon on the Mount, the sermon was probably directed at his twelve disciples, although he was speaking before a large crowd. Jesus told them not to expect fame and fortune, but to expect sorrow, hunger, and persecution. Nevertheless, Jesus assured his disciples, you will be rewarded, but perhaps not in this life. I know there are some of you listening today who are suffering and in pain. I know some of you as personal friends and relatives. Some of you are waiting surgery that you hope and pray 
will relieve your pain and suffering, and I hope so too. Sometimes we don't understand why we have to suffer like we do in this life, and I know many have heard the phrase, it is what it is. And perhaps it is what it is. But every time you want to ask God why, I want you to try saying, I trust you, Jesus, so that when you don't understand, and your faith in the Lord and His goodness is being tested, as you say the words, I am trusting you, Jesus, it will strengthen your faith and give you courage to face whatever lies ahead. During my freshman year at Wake Forest College, I met a girl from Mahoskey, North Carolina. For her high school graduation present, her parents had taken her and her twin sister on a Mediterranean cruise. Near the end of our freshman year in college, she came down with a mysterious sickness that took a long time to diagnose. She had to drop out of college. Her father was a doctor, and he sent her everywhere for tests to try and figure out what was wrong with her. I think it took about two years before she went to the Mayo Clinic and was finally diagnosed with Mediterranean fever. It was about the third case ever seen in the United States, and sadly, there was not a cure. She had picked up a parasite that had lodged in her intestinal wall during the cruise. It would remain dormant for a while, and then it would manifest itself and cause her great pain and sickness. She lived with this disease for over 20 years until she died at the young age of 46. She loved God and had such a beautiful spirit. She is the only friend I ever had that would call me in the middle of the night and talk for hours. But she had to call when she felt like it, and I figured the least I could do would be to listen to her talk about all she was going through, no matter what time of day she called. She delivered a speech one time, and the title was, His Eye is on the Sparrow. And I'm sure I have that speech somewhere, and if I ever find it, I would like to share some of her personal story with you. A minister came to our church several years ago to conduct a revival. He had written a poem that he passed around to those of us present that night. Whenever I read this poem, it makes me think of all the people who are traveling a road that is marked by sorrow or pain or suffering, but, in spite of all, have kept the faith. The poem is based on a verse found in the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, chapter 33, verse 25. Your sandals shall be iron and bronze. As your days, so shall your strength be. The title of his poem is Shoes of Iron and Brass, and Roy E. DeBran wrote it. I am going to read it for you now. Sometimes when my way is weary and the path is rough and steep, when my steps begin to falter and my eyes begin to weep, through the tears I see a vision of a risen Christ who stands just beyond the hurt and heartache, and he says, Here, Take my hand. You have to keep on walking, though your feet are bruised and sore. So take my hand. I'll help you, cause I've been this way before. Shoes of iron and brass I'll give you to get across the rocky shore. Take my hand and keep on walking. I'll give you strength and you'll endure. I have had the devotional book, Jesus Calling, by Sarah Young for many years. I don't know why it was just this past February 16th when I read something that I want to share with you this morning, especially those of you who might be shut in due to a hip replacement, arthritis, or some other medical condition that is keeping you home most of the time these days. And here it is from Sarah Young's book, Jesus Calling, February 16th. Thank me for the conditions that are requiring you to be still. Do not spoil these quiet hours by wishing them away. 
waiting impatiently to be active again. Some of the greatest works in my kingdom have been done from sick beds and prison cells. Instead of resenting the limitations of a weakened body, search for my way in the midst of these very circumstances. Limitations can be liberating when your strongest desire is living close to me. Quietness and trust enhance your awareness of my presence with you. Do not despise these simple ways of serving me. Although you feel cut off from the activity of the world, your quiet trust makes a powerful statement in spiritual realms. My strength and power show themselves most effective in weakness. In Randy Alcorn's book, 90 Days of God's Goodness, Alcorn says, Thank you, Lord, for valuing our faith in you so much that you test and strengthen it through adversity. As we pray for those of you who are in a time of sorrow or sickness or suffering or trials, please pray for those of us who are out in the world. May all of us be faithful to the Lord on our individual journeys, no matter what and no matter where they take us. I must confess, although I have a lot of devotional books, I don't read from every one of them every day. One little book is over 100 years old and is a book of 365 one-minute prayers, and the title of the book is God's Minute. There is a different preacher for each of those 365 prayers, and it just so happened that this past week I finally recognized one of those preachers' names, and only because I had just read a story about him in my one-year Christian history book by Michael and Sharon Rustin. The preacher was B.B. Warfield, a well-known theologian from the late 1800s to the early 1900s in our country. I'm going to read for you the two stories that appear in the Rustin's book, in the one-year Christian history book. So, here we are, and this is from the, first from the November 18th thing. And this is, I, Benjamin, take thee, Annie, to be my wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health. In 1876, when Benjamin Breckenridge Warfield made this vow to his bride, Annie Kincaid, he meant it with all of his being. Warfield was born in 1851 near Lexington, Kentucky. His father was a farmer and a published expert on raising cattle. His mother was the daughter of Reverend Robert Jefferson Breckenridge, a theologian at the Presbyterian Seminary, in Danville, Kentucky. As a boy, Warfield made a public profession of his faith in the Lord Jesus and joined the Second Presbyterian Church of Lexington at the age of 16. His mother wanted him to be a minister, but while he was a student at Princeton University, his main academic interests were mathematics and science. He graduated with highest honors at the age of just 19 and went off to Europe for graduate study in science. To everyone's surprise and his mother's delight, he wrote home in 1872 to announce that he had decided to enter the ministry instead. He returned to the United States and entered Princeton Theological Seminary, graduating with the class of 1876. That summer, he married Annie Kincaid, the daughter of a prominent Lexington attorney who had once represented Abraham Lincoln in a trial. For their honeymoon, the happy couple went to Europe, where Warfield was to study at the University of Leipzig. One day, while they were hiking in the Hartz Mountains of Germany, they were caught in a violent thunderstorm. Annie suffered a nervous breakdown from which she never recovered. She remained to some degree an invalid for the rest of her life. Back in America, 
Warfield served nine years as professor of New Testament at Western Theological Seminary in Allegheny, Pennsylvania. In 1887, he was called to Princeton Theological Seminary as professor of theology. At Princeton, Warfield became his generation's leading exponent of Calvinistic theology in general and the authority of Scripture in particular. He was an outspoken critic of the liberal scholarship of his day and a prolific author. His collected works filled ten volumes. In the midst of all his teaching and writing, Warfield was simultaneously caring for his beloved Annie. At first, she was able to go on walks through the town of Princeton with her husband. When this became too difficult for her, they would walk together back and forth across the front porch of their home. Eventually, she became bedridden and was seen by few others than her husband. By his own choice, Warfield spent nearly all of his non-teaching hours at home. Even with a busy academic schedule, he reserved time every day for reading to Annie. He was almost never away from his wife for more than two hours at a time. During the last ten years of Annie's life, the Warfields only left Princeton once to go on a vacation that he hoped would improve her health. In spite of the limitations placed on his life by her condition, no one ever heard one word of complaint from Warfield. In describing him, a friend once said, He has had only two interests in life, his work and Mrs. Warfield. When Annie Warfield died on November the 18th, 1915, her husband had lovingly cared for her for 39 years. Warfield himself died five years later. In spite of all the hours spent as caregiver to his wife, no other theologian of his time is as widely read today or has had his books in print as long as those of Benjamin Breckenridge Warfield. God blessed his faithfulness to his marriage vow. And in the reflection section, this is what it uh, asks. Are there things in your life that have not turned out as you had hoped? Are you able, like Benjamin Warfield, to be faithful and content in whatever situation God places you? Or are you still struggling? God is most glorified when we are most satisfied with Him. And these are the words of the Apostle Paul as recorded in Philippians 4, 12 and 13. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything with the help of Christ, who gives me the strength I need. And then I want to read you this from um, February 16th uh, about Warfield uh, near the end of his life. On Christmas Eve 1920, Dr. Warfield suffered a heart attack. He slowly recuperated over the following weeks, and when classes resumed after Christmas vacation, he was back teaching. On February the 16th, 1921, Warfield went to his regular afternoon class, but he did not stand to lead the opening prayer as was his usual custom, for he was still feeling weak. The passage for study that day was the third chapter of 1 John. When he began teaching, it was as if all of his weakness faded away. When his exposition reached the 16th verse, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. A student recalled, quote, All the eloquence of Dr. Warfield's Christian heart, all the wisdom of his ripened scholarship focused on the interpretation of that text. Dr. Warfield explained, The laying down of his life in our stead was a great thing. But the wonder of the text is that he, being all that he was, the Lord of glory, laid down his life for us, being what we are, mere creatures of his hand, 
guilty sinners deserving his wrath. He urged his students to realize their own sin and God's gift more fully, which would deepen our wonder at his grace and our wish to glorify his name. After his lecture, Warfield returned home. Later that evening, he suffered another heart attack and died. He had taught his last class. The day after Warfield's death, his Princeton colleague and good friend, Gresham Macon, wrote a letter that said, I'm writing to tell you of the great loss which we have just sustained in the death of Dr. Warfield. Princeton will seem to be a very insipid place without him. He was really a great man. There is no one living in the church capable of occupying one quarter of his place. To me, he was an incalculable help and support in a hundred different ways. This is a sorrowful day for us all. Years earlier, when performing the funeral service of a friend, Dr. Warfield had described, quote, the innumerable throng that have laid aside the trials and labors of earth, well-pleasing to their Lord and entered into their rest with him. He continued, while our farewell to them on this side of the separating gulf was sounding in their ears, the glad hail of their Lord was welcoming them there. May God grant each of us to follow them. May he give us his Holy Spirit to sanctify us wholly and enable us when we close our eyes in our long sleep to open them at once, not in terrified pain and torment, but in the soft, sweet light of paradise, safe in the arms of Jesus. After teaching his last class, Warfield followed the innumerable throng into the safe arms of Jesus. And this is the reflection section for that day. The greatest attribute of B.B. Warfield was his great heart for God. To him, theology wasn't about lofty propositions. It was about a personal God who sent his son to lay down his life in our stead that we may spend eternity in paradise with him. Do you think of Jesus as a theological concept or do you know him personally as B.B. Warfield did? And the verse for this day was from 1 John 3.16. We know what real love is because Christ gave us his life for us. When I looked up B.B. Warfield on the internet, I found this quote by R.C. Sproul about him. And this is what he was saying about Warfield. It's only to our detriment that we don't have in our own day men of the statue of Warfield. I am profoundly grateful for the legacy that has enriched the whole church as a result of the theological contributions of B.B. Warfield. I believe that Warfield is second only to Jonathan Edwards as America's greatest theologian. In closing, I want to read for you B.B. Warfield's prayer from the God's Minute book of 365 prayers. And this was on March 1st. And the verse at the top of that prayer was, Let them that love thy name be joyful in thee. And this is Warfield's prayer. Most gracious Father, we lift up our hearts unto thee, from whom alone comes our strength. Help us to trust thee so wholly that we trust thee in the dark. Thy mercies are fresh every morning and renewed to us every night. Help us to praise thee for thy goodness and to rest in thy love. Thou knowest what we have need of before we ask thee. Grant us all that thou seest we need. Save us from suffering and want from sickness and misery, from doubt and perplexity, from temptation and sin. Teach us that thou carest for us, and nothing can harm us or separate us from thy love. Relieve us from anxiety and fear, that our minds may be at leisure from themselves to soothe and sympathize. 
Make us useful in the world in which thou hast placed us, and zealous in service to thee. Forgive us our sins in Jesus Christ. Give us thy spirit to dwell within us, and grant us the joy of conscious communion with thee. Conform us ever more closely to thine image, as thou hast revealed it to us in Jesus Christ. Lead us in the paths of holiness, and take us at last unto thyself to dwell forever in thy presence, the recipients of thy favor and love. And all we ask, we ask in the name and for the sake of thy Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. I leave you today with this verse from Psalm 4211. Don't be discouraged, O my soul, and don't be upset. Hope thou in God. Thank you for listening. Why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely and long?
And I know he watches. Yes, I know he watches. I know he's watching over. Listening to Hope for Today, brought to you each Sunday morning by Carol Pharmacy. We hope the message today has helped and encouraged you. If we can ever help you with your prescriptions, over-the-counter medications, or vaccines, we hope you will come in to our family-owned and operated independent pharmacy, where outstanding customer service is our goal.